It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. And everything, and 
we really wanted uh, the audience to have an opportunity, especially for those of you who are looking for careers in the music industry, looking for how the industry affects. So it's an open dialogue, but we're going to go into a little bit of different things to give you an idea, you know, where we think the state of the industry is. So, you know, Jay, I know you know a little bit more about this topic than I know some, but I won't. I will not lie to our audience and say that I know a whole lot. And part of the reason is because I'm really not happy with, you know, the many things I've been hearing about this topic. So sometimes, very rarely do I close a blind ear to things. I I, I consider that ignorant. But on this note, sometimes I do close a blind ear so I can create ideas in reference to it, but not be directed by it. So Jay, can you? Let's go into the Pandora and Clear Channel versus the music industry. Well, uh, yes, we have a we have a great conflict in the music industry, and and things get sticky, you know, when the government gets involved. Um, basically, Pandora is a streaming web streaming they web streaming music um, to their listeners, and they have been paying a certain rate uh, to the music companies and the publishers. Um, I think five years ago they got a good rate, which is which was kind of fair, but maybe to some they should be paying a little more. Well, in the last couple of months here, they want a smaller rate, and it's outraged a lot of the big music companies, such as Sony, um, BMI, um, some of the other main main uh, music music uh, publishers, and they. Um, yeah, they're having a problem with this because if they pay a smaller rate, the songwriters and the publishers don't get paid fairly. There's two bills that are out there now. The first bill is the Internet Radio Fairness Act, which says Pandora would pay a smaller rate, which is 85% less than what they're paying now, which is not enough money to keep the music business uh, stable like some of the main companies. The other um, bill... So, Jay, Jay, I have a question before you go on. Are, so, just so our audience is clear, are you saying that Pandora, my question is, is Pandora actually looking to pay the record labels 85, an 85% less royalty rate than what they have then? Exactly. Which, which Gail, is, you know, it's kind of crazy because they already got a deal five years ago, which is... Uh, Pretty cheap, and a lot, and it's, it's, it's amazing because a lot of the rules were made in 1998, the Millennium Act, where since technology has such has went in advance, the rules that were made in 1998 don't apply to these new companies like Pandora and Spotify. We, we had no idea that there would be streaming music and they wouldn't be selling CDs, and they we didn't know. You know, it all started with Apple. Apple invented the iPod, and that just changed the whole world of music. And that's, I hate to say that it's great things about the iPod, but then there's some, we weren't prepared for it. We weren't prepared for it. Steve Jobs invented something that's great, but on the other side, it took down the music industry, and they weren't prepared for these new rules. So, yes, they want to pay 85% less. And uh, basically they want to pay exactly what some of the uh, terrestrial stations Yale are paying, which uh, is less, and the music industry would like all of them to pay more. You know, pretty much go back to the statutory rate that the radio stations uh, did the, in the early 90s, 
and the 80s, you know, keep everything the same so they could make some money. Um, so you got these two bills. You got some of the companies, uh, Clear Channel and um, Pandora and many other companies, they want, they want a lower rate. And then you got the industry who wants the First Aid Act, which is uh, the Internet First Aid Act bill, which is to make everybody's rate pretty much the same. And that could save, could save the music industry. But how I look at it, Gail, it either or, if you do the the, um, the Internet um, Fairness Act or the Internet First Aid Act, they both pretty much is going to ruin both sides because somebody's going to suffer. Um, we need to get some kind of normalcy between both parties to where it's fair for everyone, and they need to meet in the middle, and they need to pretty much um, cross platforms so they could sit and agree on something. Um, one will kill the other. So if you give them a, uh, a lower rate, uh, that's going to destroy the music industry as we know. If you give Pandora a higher rate, well, these new, these new technology Internet companies, they're going to suffer. So, you know, we got to work this out together. And, you know, I, I, I'm all for the musician and the songwriters, but we got to see there's a new technology out here. New technology would bring more money. So there's got to be a... There's got to be something. We've got to have a good treaty, and there's got to be something in between to make this work out. Well, one of the things I'm going to say, Jay, is just to make a little bit to, to my, my thought about it, okay, is that you know that I, I'm, I'm very much, I believe in balance. So the music industry as it is, you know, the components are, for some of you who don't know, you have your artists, you have the music industry, you have the producer, you have the songwriter. The three, those three components are needed for the label to do anything. You can't do anything without the producer. You can't do anything without the songwriter. You can't do anything without the artist to sing it. Then you need an art, a manager who's going to manage all of that. I mean, this is just the, the nuts and bolts of an industry. You know, you, then you have your promotions and publicity and all of that that's needed to get the, the song or the album out and the way it used to work with the old model for the music label. Now, uh, since technology has come in, which brings us in kind of like segues, Jay, into the next subject matter of technology and, you know, where the music industry is now, okay, and, and, and piggybacking off what you said, my thoughts about Pandora and Clear Channel and going into technology in the music industry, I think technology helped the industry in the sense that it gave independent artists an opportunity to put their music out there when they were not being looked at by the major record companies. But we also have to understand that the major record companies cannot take on every artist, otherwise they would be out of business. At the same time, the music industry did not regulate it in a way that it was fair to the artist, the producer, and the lot. Now, here's the thing to me for the artist. The artist doesn't really get much because once the produce, producer who produces the track gets their royalties and what they get on the top of it for the production, once the record label recoups all its fees for the tours, the limos, and everything else, the artist is practically left with nothing. Once the manager is involved and receives their 20% to 25%, which is now the case, and their agent is involved taking another between 15 and 25%, the artist really doesn't have anything to work with, and their royalty rate is generally low. Now, then you put that fee that on top of Pandora, who really with technology now being involved in social media, with technology, I think, where it helped the music industry, it also hindered it. Because now with technology involved, there's no place for a young person or older person to have to go to a store and go get music. They can download it. Then we went through the period of 
you know, subscriptions to download music. Now I think people just get their music however they get it, through subscriptions, through, you know, their mobile phones, through their friends giving it to them. And there's still a high rate of, we went through the piracy thing, but now, and the reason why I went through all of these junctures, uh, Jay, off what you said about Pandora, is Pandora and all of these, the radio, you know, like um, Rhapsody and Pandora, they had set out initially on the online environment to have it that people could have access to music. But to keep that going, and with all the live streaming, it cost them to keep it going with the Internet costs and everything. And I'm not agreeing with Pandora, but they're trying to find a way to balance it out. Pandora is almost out of, has almost gone out of business, Jane. You know that for a fact. I don't think that they should. I don't think that they should pay 85% less. Okay, uh, to the for the royalty rates to the labels, everything. But I would say that in, in keeping with the other, um, and I and definitely I am not pro paying less, but I am pro finding a balance. We've got to find a balance so that artists are paid. We've got to find the balance so that the consumer is not overwhelmed with so much music they don't know what to do with, okay? We've got to find a balance so that the music label gets paid because you still need the music label machine. I know people have don't like it at times or whatever, but that machine is able to put your music out on a global level. Otherwise, having independent people come in, it costs the artist so much more money, all right? They have to pay out more money on the growth. And that's another thing, knowing the growth and the net, you know, recouping expenses. So, Jay, you and I have been in the industry for a very long time. We're currently working on a project together with um, Phineas Robert, also known as Sinestro, and and uh, Debbie Williams and Alicia, uh, Alicia Olatuja, as well as uh, Leonard of Black Eyed Productions in, Atlanta, in um, Alaska. And working with all these individual people, everyone has to get taken care of. And we have a project that a large part of the proceeds will be going to nonprofit. Again, you look back and say, by the time you know we look at things, and like you're talking about Pandora, by the time you look at the net, really the net of things, not the gross, because you're being taxed on the gross, so you might as well look at the, the monies that you receive, your net. You really don't have much, all right? You really don't have much. And then you have all these other entities taking out your 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 monies in different locations. So Pandora, in order to stay alive, it's a business. An artist is a business. A music label is a business. And there's so there's, there's, we've got to find some kind of model that really balances it out. We have these other uh, technology models that actually, like Pandora and Artist Growth, and you know I can't even there's so many of them I can't even think of it that's, you know, helping the music industry. But then we've got the other side of it that the producers like yourself need to be paid, the songwriters need to be paid, you know what I mean? The artists themselves need to be paid, and it's just not enough. That's really what it comes down to. It's not enough, in some, and I'm not saying it can't be done, but sometimes the way the industry is now, artists really are sustaining a living through the selling of their music and the touring. The technology has actually put artists in a position where they have to tour. The technology like Pandora and so forth gives people online the opportunity to stay online, okay, and receive the benefits of the music, but it also at the same time takes away from the enjoyment from the way we used to have music. 
when we used to take the CD and look and put it in our, our computers or, or in our um, stereos. Or when we, well, I'm not going to go too far back. But the, the point is we have to find something that works, not the music industry making too much money, not the technology companies. And, Jay, this is the part I would love your opinion on. The technology companies have come in, and that's why I said they've helped and hindered, because now there's another piece that has to be taken away from the producer, the songwriter, the artist. I shouldn't say taken away. It's more money that has to come out of the pot. And guess who it's coming out of the pot from? The creative, the creatives who created the song or the album in itself. And then the, the, music, the music company still has to receive their monies in order to stay afloat to support for future artists. What are your thoughts about this? So I, would, I, I think that's, um, that's, that's really true. And the other thing I wanted to point out too, Gil, I wanted your take on this. Do you think Pandora doesn't pay enough uh, attention to ads and they could charge a subscription for the subscription fee? Like, should they get more advertisers to help supplement the situation that they're in? Maybe they don't get enough advertisers to be able to supplement that so they won't have to ask for that um, reduction in rates. Well, the problem is, Jay, that advertisers, you know, again, I am not pro-business. I'm really just giving the reality of the situation. As someone who's involved with branding and marketing, I can honestly tell you the advertisers are stretched. First, we have regular TV, so the advertisers have to be on the regular TV. Then they have to be on cable. Then they have to be in the online stratosphere or just everyday sites like uh, the Mashable Fast Company, all the magazine websites, as well as the physical magazines themselves, the ads have to be in. All right? Then you're talking about individual ads of sites that are garnering a lot of traffic they don't want to miss. Then they have to be online to Facebook in order to, to garner all the people on Facebook, all the people on Twitter. So the ad space is like the ad budgets are off the top of the charts right now. Because, again, technology has come in and it's helped and it's hindered. It's helped in the sense of gaining access to more people all over the world, but it's hindered because they have to stretch themselves so far in the, ad, you know, in, in, in the advertising sphere for, for that. So it may not be that Pandora can't do it. It may, not, it may be that the advertising dollars are not spreading far enough for the market that Pandora has. Oh, you know, okay. There may not be enough advertising dollars. Because think about it, James. It's not only just Pandora. You have Spotify. You have RDIO. You have um, Apple with iTunes, okay? Um, you know, you have various places that people want to be seen, okay? And in order to be seen and at the top of everything, they have to do that. I do not know if there's – I think there are some ads in the Google Play. Um, there's, there's just so many places that ads are taking root, that they have to be there. And though Facebook is not doing too well with its IPO, it goes up and down, Facebook is one of the biggest contenders. Facebook had, you know, was trying to do something with the music industry as well. The music industry is a very funny animal. And so, therefore, it's really hard to gauge which way consumers are going. I mean, you know, the biggest time we listen to music is like the tragedy of Hurricane Sandy in New York, you know, the tragedy of different earthquakes in Haiti and so forth, you know. People listen to music when people are going through a rough time. We get, you know, we, we had a huge 
divide between the presidency. People listen to music to get them through. People want to have someone to blame, so they go to the music for that. You know, people listen to hard rock when they want to blame people and, and get them activated. Uh, in some communities, they listen to rap to get them activated. It's spur on violence, you know. So there's advertisers that go after that market. Then there's advertisers that go after the market for the mothers who really do control the household, okay? But then there's the dads, you know, who control the household in terms of the, the, the boys. I mean, there's so much involved with the advertising today. We're no longer advertising on the 18, really, the 24 market. We still use that as a premise to go on, but we're really looking at the lifestyles of people. We're truly, truly looking at the lifestyles of people today. And that is, that is the, the, you know, that is really the biggest issue today, lifestyles of people. What is the lifestyle? Where is it going? You know, how is it working? You know, and that is where the, it's very difficult. You know, today, it's not just the music industry putting a song out and then it's okay. We do need advertisers. But they're just stretched in the entertainment space so far. And I'm not giving you advertisers out there an excuse not to advertise. I'm just saying that, you know, this, it's really a difficult industry. Well, you know, I was also wondering, like, you know, technology, the music industry, how did we get like this? How did, how did the music industry get like this? And I can see this affecting other industries because what's happening is software is taking the place of hardware. And what I mean by that is, as you saw all the Virgin Record stores close, all the Tower Record stores close, all the mainstream stores close, most of these uh, products are now going to Target and Walmart, all the mom and pop stores close, and basically with these MP3s, like you said, people get their music from different, a different kind of way now. So basically software is taking the place of hardware, and that can happen in other industries. So I think everybody out there should be aware of this, uh, sure, you might think it can't happen in your industry, but if you see software is taking the place of hardware, and that's the future of what, what, what they're trying to do, is pretty much put everything down to a little box or a little smartphone where you can do everything on your phone. And, yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing, but that's basically well, what we're going. I, I, think, I think here's the thing where we have to learn that there's no such thing as good and bad. And when people hear that from me, they also go, what do you mean? Well, in America, you know, or even in a state, what's in a, you know, in the state of New York, a kid might or an adult might find that walking down the street, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. In New York, it's commonplace, okay, for people to jaywalk and you won't be arrested. That's considered wrong. You go to California, you'll be arrested on the spot. I mean, I almost got in trouble for jaywalking in California, you know. <laughs> you know, so that's an example. Or where, you know, as a woman, you don't have the freedom in certain countries, like in Saudi Arabia, you can't be seen, you know, you can't go and drive on your own for the most part um, without your husband present or a male, okay? But here you can do it with no problem. So we want to look at before we say it's right and wrong. What I will say to you is this, is that, you know, Jay, I've always said that technology should always be balanced out. I remember a movie with Bruce Willis. I forgot the name of it, but it was a, a movie about two years ago where human beings were actually tied to a computer and then it was like taken out of your neck and then you would be activated to go around, but you had clones in your place. And I remember saying, my God, that's where we're going. Because it's getting to the point that people are no longer going to be needed if software comes into place. 
And I think what's happening, even young people see it. And I'm starting to see areas where younger people in the, in the young generation, while they love the computers and everything, I'm starting to see even younger kids get back to throwing rocks, going fishing, doing different things like that. Because I think what happened is parents like yourself, Jay, you grew up saying, oh, my mother was too strict. So I'm going to let my daughters and my sons, you know, play with these computers. But the fact is they're allowed to play with it all day, okay? Well, this really, start, this really starts at home. I was walking down the street the other day, and a young lady said, but my son, if I don't give it to him, he'll get upset. I looked at her, and I said, well, who's the parent? But if I don't do it, he'll be mad at me. So what he's going to be mad at you? He's going to run in life. He's going to be mad at a lot of people. Who is the parent? You see, I think that we have forgotten to start in the home, that's one. Number two, that uh, human life, I saw this when my mother passed away. I saw this when I see young people who are looking for jobs coming out, you know, jobs coming out of high school. I see this when, you know, we as college students are coming out looking for a job from college or, you know, everyday people looking for a job. People are being replaced by computers. And then you don't have the same connection. You don't have the same intimacy because we are being replaced by software. They have, again, I believe in balance. Using technology to have fun, using technology to be integrated to support the structure of when workers, you know, we were overworking. And the funny thing is, Jay, where technology is supposed to help us in all these other industries not work harder, it has a saying at work because we're so, I know when I get on the computer, I get so entwined in the computer that I forget. So now I have the practice of writing things out first so that I don't forget the cognitive thought patterns in my mind. So I don't forget my creativity. Because, you, you know, when you're on a computer all day and you're, taught, you're typing on a computer, you're looking at the site, you're getting your work done, you're getting informed by the site, you're not using your brain. You're reading. And that's right. what's happening in different jobs. Whether you work at Goldman Sachs, you know, you're getting your numbers off the computer, you're not talking to people sometimes in meetings. Or you're talking to people in meetings and then you go look at 200 emails. And then you're wondering why you can't get your job done. And you're wondering why you're not connecting with your coworkers. You know, the people who seem to have the most freedom are the executives who are at the top of the chain. But everything else is becoming automated. Everyone is living by their phone. God knows I, I lost my phone one day. I think you lost your phone. Our contacts, everything that we need to do is on the phone. I went back to paper and pen not because I want to be antiquated, but because I don't want to forget the ideology of learning. Right. And, and this can happen, this is definitely happening in the music industry. Everything is going online. It's all a new seizure video, all a new seizure music. Uh, even with brands now, whether it's Procter & Gamble, um, whether it's Bounty Paper Towel, it's a brand that's been around, but... If, you know, if you want to be a brand who's going to be a contender with it, well, you're going to get online and put on a good commercial and put it on, and put it in the videos because everyone's on YouTube. Right. You know, we went through, oh, the texting. You know, texting is still popular. People are now texting. They don't even call and tell their girlfriends it's over. Or the girlfriends don't tell the boyfriends. It's like, okay, text, it's over. Right. This is exactly what I'm saying with the new technology. Uh, uh, for instance, I went with my uh, daughter to a friend's house. They're both on their smartphones listening to music. Okay, we're supposed to have dinner. Um, back when I was young, 
you had you learned at the dinner table. Families got together, and that was part of this, the whole thing. Now these kids, they're so connected to their music and iPods and technology, they don't longer pay attention at the dinner table. They come to the dinner table. Well, with, here's uh, the thing, that as a parent, you're talking, and, and I have to say this to you as a parent, you're speaking like it's the kid, but it's not the kid. It is actually, exactly. it's you. It's you, the parent, saying, oh, well, the kid is doing this. No, the kid is not separate from you. You tell the kid, Hello. even the parents. I see, I see my friends sometimes, you know, even my family members. Hello? Okay, we lost Jay for a second, but um, I'm going to just continue on with the dialogue a bit. We continue to see our children online, okay, and we don't say a word. Here's our, our person back, Jay Logan. Mr. Logan? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, so we have a tendency to sit here and say, the kids are doing this. What can we do to help the kids? No, we don't need to do anything to help the kids get off the technology. We were the ones that put them on it. That's right. And we are the ones that support them in sustaining it. When you say, How do, let's work with the kids to get them off the technology and balance it out. No, you don't work with them and get off. You help them to balance it out. You're the, we're the adults that brought it to them. We're the ones that invented it. The kids that invented it. So all I'm saying is technology is very important. I love technology. I'm a, I'm a huge geek, Jay. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what's most important is everyone being involved in what's going on at their job, what's going on at work. You know, this is, this is something that's very, very important, and it's important that we, you know, all look at these things that we don't get consumed by the technology, but we use it to support us in our in, in, in the everyday endeavors and tasks that we have at hand, you know? So, you know, that's, that's my thought about it. Um, I, I don't want to veer too far off. I'm, we're waiting for our guests to come on, so we're going to go on to the next one. We just basically okay. talked about, you know, Jay, we, of our other projects here where we're talking about where is the music heading now, and people and how they consume music, and will the music industry ever recover? I don't think, you know, if we can go with, within those three areas, is that okay with you, Jay, as we wait for yep. Mary to respond? So, yes, one of the, you know, when we look at the industry as, say, recover, I don't think the industry is in a place where it's not recovered. I, I'm, really, it, it, what's concerning is that the industry is in a place of influx because it doesn't know where to go. You know what I mean? Okay. The, real, the industry doesn't – think about it. I mean, there are artists coming out of the woodwork globally. Everyone's got their idea. Everybody's got their plan. It used to be that the artists who were at the top supported the artists who were up and coming. You know what I mean? They would mm-hmm. open up for their shows, you know, and everything. What I think music can do is bring people together. When we have a concert, since artists are being forced to be on the road now more because of technology – we can use that as an opportunity to bring families together, friends together, to share in the music of listening to the music at the time. When you go to the movies, you like to go with a family member or a friend to share the movie, right? Right. You know, I mean, some of us at times may go to the movies if we don't want to be bothered with family and friends. 
But for the most part, all of us go to go to the movies with our family, friends, children, or whatever have you. And I think it's so so important that we realize that the state of the industry is not about the industry going bad, but what can we do as consumers to consume music that we really like, be in touch with the music we really like, and actually purchase. I mean, purchase because so that artists have some kind of sustainability. We sustain the music industry, uh, the music companies, and, you know, some of these uh, subscription models of these different companies that offer it, we do that as well. Right. But I also believe that if I have a song and I own it, I want to own it. I, I, you know, I'm still, you know, the subscription model's been around for a long time and still, like, I buy my music when I want it. I just buy it. It's not going to kill me right. for 99 cents. So, you know, that's, that's one thing. So, Jay, what, is, what are your thoughts about which way the industry is going and how we consume music, you know, and will it, well, it will recover? Well, I, I think the music, a lot of times the musicians now are now running towards live performance because they can't seem to make a, enough from, you know, like in, you know, back in the day you could sell 10 million albums. Can't really do that now. You can sell a million. You can sell gold, but... Going $20 million, doing the Michael Jackson thriller, $40 million, is unheard of right now. So that's, um, so most of the musicians now are doing live shows, which they're making. They're doing good, you know, and this is what they have to do now. People want to go out and see live music and actually, like, like you said, going to the movies. Well, a live show is like going to the movies. If, if you want to go see uh, whoever, Pearl Jam or Brian uh, Gary. Yeah, that, that, that's what, where we're going now, and um, that's great. The other thing is the other part of the, what I meant by the recovery of the music industry is a lot of people who used to work in the warehouses uh, drive the trucks to drop off these CDs, these huge CDs and these things at the record stores. All these people have lost their jobs. So those, that, since music is not transported no more, hardly, in that medium, as far as, uh, you know, there's a couple of CD stores opening to buy CDs, and they release a certain amount. They press up a certain amount. But a lot of that industry is gone now. So that recovery is probably never, we're never going to see that again. Well, um, Adele, I mean, artists like Adele have sold a couple of million. So, you know, so has um, people like also, um, what is her name, um, Beyonce, you know, Adele. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of them out there. But, you know, Jay, I think we're going to have to interrupt because we have Miss Christina Marie who's ready to come on. Oh, wow. I'm ready. I'm ready for her, too. <laughs> Good afternoon, Christina. How are you? Good afternoon, Gal. How are you? We're fine, and I would like you to meet our co-host, Jay Logan, who's from San Francisco. Hi, Jay. Hello, Christina. I'm excited about you on the show. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, and we're, you know, we've been talking about a completely different subject, but in a sense, you know, Christina, what we're about to talk with you about really does come together in what we're speaking about, you know, with the music industry as a whole. Um, People have forgotten to be a part of the industry again. People have forgotten their creativity. You know what I mean? And so it really blends right into where we're going to go with you today. So, you know, Christina, can we get right into the wonderful project that you're working on with a team of, of people? Of course. Okay, great. Of course, do it. And so, 
So, and thank you for being with us today. So, Christina, would you tell our audience about your project, stories of, well, before we even do that, would you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, I'm a massage therapist by trade and an author and publisher by passion, and I'm just really into contributing and people just really living a life that they love. And my stand in the world today, because I change it every year, is really just being expanded consciousness and helping others expand their consciousness. And that's where I am right now. Love it. Thank you so much. Being a massage therapist, I can imagine you're so so sensitive and connected to people automatically. It it really does. um, It agrees with me and who I am naturally, and it's wonderful to help people, and it's one of those professions where you are loved by the end of the hour. You know, people really appreciate you. It's a very positive experience for everyone, so I really do enjoy it. Well, Christina, would you tell our audience about your project, Stories of Courageous Vulnerability, please? Sure. Um, Stories of Courageous Vulnerability is actually a book that we're launching this Friday, and It's created from a team of people. I'm just one person on the team. Um, That We have a team in the U.S., and it started from someone's participation in Landmark um, team leadership program, and their stand, which is Ross Trotter, and his stand was um, Stories of Courageous Mm -hmm. Vulnerability. His stand is that, um, you know, people, people are courageously vulnerable out of which life-changing moments happen that take our breath away. So his stand created, he created a team for, to write a book, and then it just it just grew from there. Um, Dinesh Shah from India decided so that he would like to be week. on our team. Yeah, he decided he wanted to be on team. And then next thing you know, we're getting stories from everywhere, Ireland, um, Argentina, Romania, South Africa, um, we have a great team, Wendy Dows, Catherine Filler, Anna Soya, Isaacs, um, Patty Cunningham, Jackie O'Brien, and I'm forgetting, oh, Judy Romaine, and I know I'm forgetting someone. I just can't think of who I forgot. We're going to give you a few seconds, so maybe you'll remember so they, they won't feel left out. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's just been so overwhelmingly wonderful that um, – you know, I, I'm sure that if I left their name out, they know that I haven't left them out through the whole process, so I hope they forgive me. Um, yeah, so we created this book, and we have stories in there that are literally take-your-breath-away worthy. I mean, these people have really provided us with their essence and their stories and their personal journeys in a way that just, I mean, I, it it almost leaves me speechless how beautiful this this project is and so you know this is this is coming out on friday and we are at the final final stages of editing and you know creating the pdfs and getting it out there and um you know the cover design is complete the stories are 99 percent complete it's just really been beautiful and what i really love about this is that the proceeds are going to go to a charity in the USA and a charity in India. Katina, we have a set of questions so that we can actually create it for our audience that they're like really in the creation with you. So don't tell them everything yet. 
Yeah, let's, let's, oh, don't give let's it all away? Okay. No, no, not yet, not yet. Okay. Let's go with us a little bit here. And I think Jay has a question for you next. Okay. Yes, I want to, Christine, I want to know, um, what had you and others, why have you and others chose to create such a wonderful project? Say that again. I'm sorry I didn't hear why, you. Why, why, did, why did you and others choose to, you know, create such a wonderful project? Well, you know, um, it's inspirational, and it's motivational, and it's beautiful, and it's authentic, and why wouldn't you want to be a part of something like that? Mm. Mm. Well, we hear this project will benefit a few global organizations. Would you share which ones they are and a little about them? I'm sorry. I couldn't hear that first part. I hear the project will benefit a few global organizations. Would you share which ones they are and a little about each of them? Yes, thank you for your patience. Okay, for Team USA, um, the charity, the organization of choice is the Covenant House, um, which is, you know, they deal with youth that is homeless, and each year in the U.S. alone there's about 2 million youth experienced homelessness for whatever reason, and this Covenant House, they have 22 houses in in the United States, in Canada, and all over, and what they do is they, they, they take in these homeless youth, which is under 18, and they feed and shelter, and they clothe, the, and they give them medication. It's just really beautiful, and they don't ask any questions. They will take anyone who's homeless, so the U.S. proceeds will go there. And then in India, the VP Youth Trust in India, which is grassroots grown by Dinesh Shaw, which he's the team leader in India. And what they do is really they do anything that's needed. Um, They've been around for over 25 years, and essentially they contribute to anything, whether it's a flood, earthquakes, droughts. They're associated with the Indian Red Cross, animal welfare, hospitals. I mean, you name it. They go where whatever's needed for the community. It's pretty powerful. And those are the two those are the two charities. That's wonderful. Could you tell us a little bit about um Expanded Family Magazine also? Oh, the Expanded Family Magazine is the magazine that I published. Um it's a free community magazine for families who are different from the traditional model of biological mother, biological father, and children. You know, whether it's your grandmother raising you or a step-family or adoption, it really just tries to honor all families as being families. And so it's just a magazine that um, I created through my participation with Landmark Education, and I was on the self-expression and leadership group, and that was my project. Wow, that's amazing. You know, one of the things... um, I'd also like to ask you, since you created your own magazine, how hard was it to work with other authors? It wasn't hard at all. Um, for the magazine you're asking me? Yeah. You know, well, magazines and, you know, and the book that you're co-creating with a team of people, you know, since you've created your own magazine, you know what it is to create your own magazine. How hard was it to work with other authors, you know, on this book and, and on the project in general? Uh, for me personally, it wasn't hard at all because people were so generous 
And a lot of what I did when this first started was I interviewed people for their stories, and then I wrote a transcript, and then to, then I gave it to them, and then they created their own story from there. Because a lot of people felt they couldn't really write well, but as it turned out, their stories were so beautiful that they wrote fine, perfectly, wonderful. And it was just really fun to be a part of that and be a part of a person's story and really be with that person as they're sharing it. And I found... Just sharing their story created another breakthrough or another transformation or another level of, oh, my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And it was like they were getting these little mini breakthroughs while they were sharing their breakthroughs. So it was just, I found it not difficult at all. I found it to be actually, you know, I found out I was almost like, well, this is more for me than them almost because I was just so, I was enjoying every minute. Wow. You know, it was very interesting to me how you guys define courage and and vulnerability. Would you mind explaining to our listeners how can you be both? Well, I think being courageously vulnerable, as the book, the title of the book, is really, you know, being fearful and doing it anyway, even though there's a risk, whether it's emotional or physical, and you're vulnerable enough to be courageous or you're courageous enough to be vulnerable. So it's kind of, you know, it could flow either way. And we found that people just really found their own definitions and that they let that guide them in their stories. And it really just all worked out to where there's there's three elements to all stories. There's a way of being or life existing in a certain context. Then there's this moment that changed their life. And then after that, there's the outcome. And so while the stories, some of them are detailed, some of them are vivid, some of them are creative, they all kind of have an element of this beautiful process in in people's journeys. And, you know, anything can be a courageously vulnerable moment that changes your life. I mean, we have so many different, we have a variety of stories. And, you know, some of them are just, they literally take your breath away. I recommend buying some tissues when you read the book in a good way, you okay. know, because it's very, very touching. It touches your soul, I would say. That would be my recommendation. That would be my um, – that's what I would say. If I had to say what impact would this book create for people, it will touch me and inspire them. I mean, if you're alive, I think it has to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got it. Christina, Christina, do you plan on working on any more books in the future or writing or, you know, have some more projects? You know what? I'm always open to whatever's going to come next. I don't know. I I really am excited, and I want to stay present to launching this and completing this and being fully in this and then just sending it out there, see what happens. And then whatever else comes in or whatever else I need to be doing, I'll know. Um, what countries are involved, and who is your team? Who are who is your team on this project? Who's on the team? Yeah, what countries are involved, and who's on your team? Okay, um, the countries that are involved are Romania, India, Argentina, South Africa, wow. um, Ireland, and I have them listed down here somewhere. Um, and from the USA, we have Philadelphia, New Jersey, California, Florida, New York, Hawaii, um, yeah, and maybe a few more. 
that aren't off the top of my head. And then our team is represented in both India and the USA. So Ross Trotter is the team leader in the USA, um, Wendy Zales, Catherine Filler, um, Dennis Shaw, Patty Cunningham, Jackie O'Brien, um, Judy Romaine, and I think that's it. Anastasia Isaacs. I knew it. And, you know, Anastasia <laughs> is just, uh, you know, I, I actually miss the, the, the most loving, beautiful person on the earth. Anastasia has been fantastic on team. She actually joined halfway through, and she's, she's, she's taken us to a whole new level. She actually got us South, South Africa. Which was like, you know, it was like we won the lottery when we got South Africa. We were like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. So I apologize if she's listening. I'm so sorry. She knows I love her. Oh, yeah. That's why I put her in because she, she's a friend of mine, too, and I wouldn't want her to say, well, God, you didn't tell her to no. not to forget me. <laughs> no, I so definitely, I think, definitely am not forgetting her. I think you have and another question for her. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm wondering, like, being a massage therapist, does that include spirituality? And also, is it a mental application? I mean, do you use all of it, the mind and the spirit, when you massage, or is it just uh, you're just giving them a massage? You know, um, there are practical tools that you learn in massage therapy school, and then there's just who you are as a person doing the massage. And it just, I mean, sometimes people are very much clear that they don't want, they just want, you know, their muscles rubbed out, and that's what they want. And, you know, that's what I have to provide because that's the integrity of, of listening to your client. But I have found that being a massage therapist, I mean, you know, anything's possible. People can have breakdowns, breakthroughs. It can feel, it can heal them on some level, or it could just release a muscle. It really all depends on the person. But I think anything that you do that helps another person is spiritual. So it's probably spiritual by default, even if the person doesn't want it to be. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I believe that, Gail, because, you know, that technique has been around for eons and since the beginning yeah. of time. And, and I really believe that it will help you spiritually in this a heal, it's a healing thing, opposed to, oh, just rub me down and I'll see you later, you know. They take advantage of the, you know, the fact that it's a healing thing. And I, I, I appreciate that answer. That's a great answer. So it's funny because um, both uh, myself and Christina were talking about some things earlier today. And, you know, Jay, you know I'm holistic, so you know that that's, that's how I believe anyway. And so, you know, we have right. Christina here. Uh, one of the things I was sharing with Christina today is that many people don't know that after a massage therapist, and, and, and Christina, please feel free to chime in here, you know, after a massage, after a massage in itself, and it fits right in with, you know, stories of courageous vulnerability because many times when we're, stuck in that place of having to have courage, our body tenses up. And we don't, we don't even know that we think, and, and then we move on into like from that vulnerability and that courageous area to overcoming whatever that lesson is or that obstacle we need to learn that we're going to be reading about in, in, in the book that she's releasing on Friday. But what we don't know is we leave a little bit of that tension and that tightness in the muscle. So then when, when people like Christina go to work on that client, you know, the client thinks they've overcome and everything's over, but when she releases that muscle, it came from that experience at that time and that year. And when we release that muscle, they might feel a bit of anger when they leave having a massage. 
They feel great, but they feel angry, and they don't realize that the, at the anger that got stored in that muscle is still there. It's energy, and it still ties to the brain. And, and this, is, this is, if you don't want to believe in energy, neurologically, when Christina is, is, is actually massaging that person, that neurological response is still there. That pattern that came from the neurological pattern that was created in the neurons of the brain is still there. So it gets triggered again. And even though you're over it, you might have about a slight anger for a day or so because your body has released something it hasn't released in years. Anything you want to, you know, say about that, Christina, before we go on to the next question? No, I'm in agreement with you, and I think it's really depending on, um, you know, how where a person is in their life and what they believe in because I do have, I do tend to have a lot of clients who are very, very aware, self-aware, and always wanting to heal and always want... I mean, I have a lot of very athletic people who are um, always looking at their own psychology, always trying to get better. So um, they are open to what you just said. But there's also a whole community of people who would be a little taken, you know, I don't know if I want to massage. That sounds kind of woohoo, you know, but it really is... It's worth it. It is. It is. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jack. I just want to cut in here, and this might be an odd question... Christina, when you give a massage, do you ever get energy that kind of transfers over to you, like what Gail was saying, that tension? Does that oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Gail and I were just talking about that earlier, and, yes, absolutely. And that's, that's so funny. And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, a massage therapist or anybody in the industry, when you are dealing directly with another human being and they're, you know, you're – creating a space for them to heal the muscle or anything, you know, transference is a part of the process and you really learn not try to not to not take that on, but sometimes, you know, things energy's flowing, things are happening and then, you know, it's just like you get a cold when you're around someone who's sick. It's that kind of thing. I mean it's it happens and it's really just important for massage therapists to really take care of themselves, to realize that this can happen and to really take care of making sure they don't take that much on. So that's a good question because that's actually true. Yes. yes. Wow. I mean, this is, so, oh, my goodness. Because, Jay, Christina and I, I didn't want to I didn't want to bring the subject matter up, but since you asked it. So I guess, uh, Christina, we definitely, we definitely were an opening for that, for that based on our conversation. Because Christina and I really had this conversation today. You know, when you're around, and, and that's, you know, we, we, you know, I, I don't want to veer off. I just have to go here for just a second. You know, Christina. You know, they talk about Eckhart Tolle and the whole new earth. And yeah. one of the things in his in his book and with Oprah, he spoke about was that he once saw a, a, a client who had all this negative energy, and then when he went to the restaurant to go eat, all of a sudden people around him began to argue, and the owner came over to him and said, "It's you, isn't it?" And the owner wasn't joking because he knew his, he knew Eckhart's work. But the the thing right. that I'm saying is, it's just like what Christine is saying. It's anything. It, it's it's transference. You know, yeah. when you're upset, when you're upset, and you get on the train, and all of a sudden you have a bad day because you still take that anger with you. That's why you got to release it. You know. Wow. But anyway, we want to get onto another subject. Where can others learn more about this project, Christina? Well, we have a we have a Facebook page, Stories of Courageous Vulnerability book, and then we have a website which is www.storiesofcourageousvulnerability.com. 
It's all one word. We do realize it's very long, but if you just spell it accurately, Google, or even inaccurately, Google will pick it up and it'll take you right to our site or our Facebook page. And one thing I'm going to add a little. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to add a caveat to our audience. That is really not that long. Think about it. Stories of courageous vulnerability. I would have no problem typing that into a URL. It's better than, you know, Jack's canned goods. <laughs> so I, I, well, I you, you know, to, you know. Sometimes these are the things that stop people. Oh, you know, that's too long. I'll look at it later. Or you know, so I just want to acknowledge it because stories of courageous vulnerability sounds maybe it sounds longer than it is, but it's really easy to get to. I mean, if you Google uh, "courageously vulnerable," all those words, hopefully, courageous or vulnerable will come up. It will definitely come up for stories of courageous vulnerability. And on our webpage right now, which is not complete, but it's enough to give everybody, you know, the juice of what's going on in our in our project. There's um, bio page, team bio pages, so everyone can see other people on team. Now, there's one or two that haven't been posted yet because we're still in the process of doing that, but you can find out. Eventually, you'll be able to see all the charities that we really love. Um, you'll be able to see what we are. You'll be able to see what our intention is, what our stand in the world is, and the website will just keep evolving and growing. And, yes, and one thing I want to add to that is uh, Christina Marie was kind enough to talk about what Listen Give will be doing with the Never Alone Project for Malaria and youth and education. So, Christina, we wanted to thank you publicly, and we want the audience to know that our audience is to know that we will be really putting this out there because it is going to make a difference in your life. Again, that's www.storiesforcourageousvulnerability.com. Again, www.storiesforcourageousvulnerability.com. And then also www.facebook.com forward slash stories for courageous vulnerability. Just so a quick correction, so Gal. Oh, oh, thank you. It's stories of. Oh, sorry. Oh, Let oh, me say that again. That's okay. vulnerability.com and www.facebook.com forward slash stories of courageous vulnerability. And Perfect. thank you so much, Christina, for being with us. We will be, uh, you, you know, that our, oh, no problem. Our website will be relaunched next week. We will have you front and center and a direct uh, link so that people can purchase your book. Please know that this is going to worthy causes. And with that, Jay, thank you for the day. And we're closing out, everyone. Thank you, Christina. Thanks, thank Christina. you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.